1: What is 0RB really? And where do we stand on it in 2021? Yes, that's right. This week on Stealing Bananas, we're going to dive into zero running back. Uh, you knew it was coming. We, we kind of reference it every show. And at some point, it made a lot of sense, I think, for us to actually be digging into it. This was my idea, not Sean's for the record. I think Sean's probably sick of talking about it. But I am Ben Gretsch, if I meant Twitter, at Yards Per Gretsch. And I'm joined as always with Sean Siegel, who's on Twitter at FF underscore Contrarian, the elite Twitter account on all of Twitter. Sean, how are you doing?
2: Excellent. And like you mentioned, this show was your idea and you've got some very strong takes on it here that you want to deliver to the audience. I I always remember one of the best emails I've ever received is one I got from you last year, which was just... Uh, you know, 700 words, no paragraph breaks, but the <laughs> blitz of—that's how you know I'm serious, right? That's how you- <laughs> very clear how strongly you felt about what was being said about Zero RB, how wrong it was, and what people needed to know about it. One of the great things that's come out of this is that it's given me a sense of the community within the fantasy community. And I would always just feel so much connection and thankfulness, gratefulness to the people at Roto-Viz, uh the people who've been part of our family and and now, you know, are doing such great things all throughout the community. I get notes all the time like this, not quite to the extent of that length, with that much just fury involved in it but people (laughs) noting different things to me and you know really wanting to defend this idea and i both appreciate that and i you know if you're out there and you believe in it and you don't want to defend it that's perfectly fine too one of the things that i always say is that it's important to put the ideas out there let people have access to them explain why you think something works and then the the fantasy player can take that and use it in whatever way is best for them including disregarding it entirely right and one of the things that, that we also mentioned is that we really do feel very strongly that it works we'll go over why that's the case but it's something where you know one of the things that we've seen with the rise of best ball is that people actually are starting to play fantasy a little bit more efficiently and that's not necessarily good for us right i mean the more people who don't agree with your running back the wider these exploitable holes are for you. And so if you're out there as a zero RB believer and you don't want people to get it right, you know, I can understand that too, because the better they draft, the harder it is for you to keep winning. So those are some of the things that we have going on here. But Ben, you had a lot that you wanted to deliver here in terms <laughs> of communicating to the fantasy industry what zero RB is and how we need to be looking at it.
1: Well, yeah, it's funny. <clears throat> we talked about doing this show, and I realized that I was thinking of this because we were doing this show. I, I started thinking of Dr. Dre's verse from the Chronic album, the song, What's the Difference? He has a line that he says, it ain't that I'm too big to listen to the rumors. It's just that I'm too damn big to pay attention to them. That's you when it comes to your RB. That's been you basically as long as I've known you. you. You're aware of what's being said out there, but you're just always sort of above it. And maybe that annoys me a little bit. Maybe that's why when I sent you that email, I was like, Sean, come on, man. Like, just, you know, I don't know, but it really does drive me nuts and maybe it shouldn't, but that that there, like, so many people talk about zero RB, write about it, write articles about it, it is on every website there. It's almost like a necessity that there needs to be at least one zero RB article every year and I would venture a guess that more than half of the people that write full articles about Zero R B haven't actually read your original Zero R B article, which is eight years old now and is still extremely relevant. It's extremely good. It's it is still, in my mind, the best fantasy article it's ever written. I'm not sure that anyone could ever beat it because so much has sort of grown off it. The, the, the thing that drives me so nuts is that there are these people that are super opinionated about it, but they quite literally don't understand the first thing about the subject matter beyond their interpretation of the six letters that make up the, its name like they they take it so literally zero running back and that's all that it means to them that is not what zero rb is that's not what the original article was about the original article was purely about anti-fragility i went back and read it again this morning for probably the 50th time and that doesn't mean that i'm some sort of subject matter expert but at least i can say that i I understand where you're coming from, or I've tried to, and in the parts I didn't understand, I've reread and and retried to understand. And I've read, obviously, tons of things that you've written about it in the years since. But it's fascinating to me that in in this article, you start talking about Taleb, you start talking about the concept of anti-fragility, which, for people who don't understand, is from uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb's book, Anti-Fragile. And he describes basically three different groups, fra- there's like fragile, there's robust or resilient, and there's anti-fragile. And the re- the, the, the point of, of separating these things out is that what happens when a system is shocked or is hit by variance or randomness or disorder from from the quote that you pulled from this original ar- article, stressors that, that impact this system. And that's what a fantasy football season is. We, it, we, we do a draft and we have this draft and we're going into the season and we've talked about this. We don't know a lot about what's going to happen in the NFL season. I sort of laugh at a lot of the conversations that I see on the on the Twitter timeline about very specific opportunity based really is what it is. Discussions are, are the ones that I'm laughing laughing at more or less because it's you know, this guy's definitely going to get a slightly better target role than that guy. These these conversations happen every July and August and then week one hits I swear every single person is is like so shocked by how how much chaos we are like thrown into like last year Robbie Anderson immediately had a completely different role than anyone understood and then it's a weekly game where we're just trying to react to these shocks to to our entire system and and recalibrate each week what is real what was just a one week you know spike and it's a it's a huge challenge it's a huge thing that I try to do in stealing signals we know that those shocks are coming. And so the point is like, how do things respond to it? And the whole point of anti-fragility is that it is a strategy that will thrive against the shocks and the stressors and the randomness and the disorder that is going that we know is going to come in the NFL season. And that is the whole point of Zero R B. Just because the name of it is Zero R B does not mean that it's some type of literal, you know, you're not allowed to draft running backs strategy. It was the name that you came up with right to describe something that you lay out and in this article you talk about how in that same offseason 2013 your original suggestion was that running back running back running back should have been the default strategy because that was more robust and resilient to the straw to the shocks but you uh, are sort of explaining it's a very humble piece where you're like thinking through all the things that you had had been considering but you're saying no that that's a resi- resilient and a robust strategy uh, and, and you're also mentioning how value-based drafting is fragile, which is even worse. But what we should really be striving for is something anti-fragile, something that will get stronger as the chaos of the NFL season breaks down. Everything we were arguing about in July and August about opportunity and all these things, that it's not going to go how we think it's going to go. That's the only thing I can tell, tell people. And 0RB is just a, a broad strategy that lines you up to benefit from that everyone who talks about zero rb doesn't understand that they just think it's just th- this very literal thing not everyone but so such a high percentage of people they think it's a very literal thing you're not allowed to draft running backs and that is like the not the point that's why we get into talking about like modified zero rb and all these other things that we're going to talk about later this week but that they, they still follow the tenets of zero rb that's where the dead zone came from people ask me about, you know, writing about the dead zone in 2019 and how that's become really popular here in 2021. And I always say, well, this just builds off all of Sean's work. This just comes, it, it is literally just talking about anti-fragility and, and narrowing it down to a very specific range where running backs are are the worst picks that they can be in, you know, fr- looking from the first round to the last round throughout a draft. This is the, the deadest period for running backs. But, I mean, the running back dead zone could just as well be called some type of modified zero RB strategy. It it really just is a, a concept built based off everything you wrote about in 2013. Anyway,
2: it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. And it's interesting that you mentioned some of those other elements from the book, we have the fragile, we have the robust, we have the anti fragile, and how that has leaked into the language that we use today for really the three different sort of ways to approach fantasy football right we have the hyper fragile approach which is attacking the running backs early and then really saying enough it's either going to work or it's not but I'm not going to build any more in Uh, Mike Beers you know wrote eloquently about that and demonstrated that it can work for RotoViz. and then we have the robust RB where you're drafting a lot and trying to deal with the chaos of the season by having yet another guy and another guy and another guy There have been seasons, most notably in 2016, where in part because of running back health and in part because of ADP after the 2015 season, that that worked pretty well, right? But generally, we know that that approach is probably the worst, right? It's a real dagger to you in terms of having your lineup reflect a lot of points and actually be able to deal with what happens during the season, because if those running backs you draft to early go down, you've actually built in such little upside to your team that you can't deal with it, right? So it, it just doesn't work out for you. Those extra running backs you drafted, if they stay healthy, they don't score enough points to win for you in the flex. So there are multiple ways in which that's probably not the way to go. Although again, it, it's not that it's impossible for it to work, right? And then we look at this idea of the anti-fragile approach or the zero RB approach. And one of the things that we're trying to do is create exposure to the largest total number of points and also be able to benefit from, as you mentioned, what happens during the season. So some of the things that we see, you go through and you look and you pull up, again, we have so much great stuff from Mike Beers and and oh, so much of the specific numbers that we can cite due to work he's done building these amazing best ball tools. And then best ball obviously has really helped owners understand also what they should be doing in redraft, but you do have actually some very high win rates from late round and middle round running backs. But we also had this element where, especially in redraft, which is really the, the prime area for zero RB, even though it works extremely well in best ball, But you can continue to slide these guys in and because we tend to know who's going to be the ball carrier that week. That's one of the things that, you know, Drew mentioned to us in our DFS show last week, how you have these guys who now are going to be the starter. You know, they have the minimum salary. You plug them in. They create these epic DFS lineups. Well, they also do that for your your redirect team. Right, and so even though those guys are not going to end up with an end of the season win rate, that jumps out at you and says, "Okay, well this guy was as good as a first round draft pick." What it does for your team can be even more. Then within that, obviously, we want to continue to look at what the trends are in a given season and try and figure out, you know, where the sweet spots are, where the weaknesses are, how we can move that around to make our overall approach work. And one of the things that I think can get lost in in early on in that sort of 2013, 2014, 2015 time period, there was a ton of discussion about, well, you know, what is zero RB? Do you have to draft wide receivers with your first four picks? You know, what about a tight end? What about a quarterback? You know, how late do you have to wait for the running back for it to really be counted? And those are very natural discussions, right? Because anytime you have a new idea that, is getting some attention and is getting some backlash and people are like, okay, well, part of this is just that this name was easy to remember. So it's getting attention based on that. And I mean, I think that's fair, right? I don't think that that's really what was happening, but I understand that criticism. And then so you go through this idea of, okay, well, you know, how do we want to define it and how narrowly do we want to look at it to make sure, okay, well, this is zero RB, this isn't zero RB. That tends to get us away from the core concept. It tends us to get us away from the practical use of it which is that we want to create teams that have a bunch of points reflected in who you've drafted and are going to be able to handle what happens in the nfl season so if you're going into a year and you have a running back in round five who you believe should be drafted in round two and you start with four wide receivers you come back with that running back in round five, you take another couple of wide receivers, you know, that's absolutely fine. You shouldn't be avoiding guys you think are discounted by multiple rounds in order to follow a structural approach. At the same time, one of the reasons why I did call a zero RB and one of the things that I tried to discuss, and you mentioned the article, there is maybe a the follow-up article, I discussed some of the things I did in real drafts. And, you know, again, the easy criticism there is just that those drafts are, are cherry-picked. To demonstrate how it can work but one of the things that i mentioned there is, is it's not necessarily just wide receiver times four and then pivot and there are a lot of drafts that i do where it's really is zero rb through 10 rounds right and so you're loading up on these wide receivers maybe you get an elite tight end we know that elite tight ends right now in many ways are the biggest difference maker you can have on your roster we're now moving into a time period where those dual threat QBs are possible choices in that round five area where there really was a a, a pretty significant time period where if you were drafting a quarterback before, you know, round 11, 12, 13, you were probably doing it wrong. Not that you couldn't hit, but especially in redraft and you wanted to wait, you can do those things and come back around with running backs later and, and that will work, right? That's something I did a lot in that 2008 to 2013 time period. It's something that Blair and I did last year where we were fortunate enough to, you know, win an FFPC main event and finish 31st overall. And I don't know, but I think that probably 28, 29, maybe all 30 teams ahead of us had Alvin Kamara. Right. And so again, people are going to say, well, you should have picked Kamara, except he was long gone when it came time for us. Right. And so you've got to understand where you are in a draft, One of the things that we saw last year, for example, is that if you are starting with running backs in the final third of your draft, you're giving up so many points. that again, you're building this very, very fragile roster that things have to go perfectly for you to win. And then even if they do, you probably won't win because your roster isn't constructed in a way that it has enough points. So we take the overall concept and then we wanna be flexible with how we apply it in different years and different areas as opposed to getting caught up in, like you said, the name, or saying this is, this isn't, how do we apply the elements of it that allow you to win fantasy leagues into our leagues and win? Because again, that's our goal.
1: Yeah, and the point with with your team, with Blair is, is so well taken because you didn't have access to Kamara. And so from where you drafted from, you essentially built the best team. Of of literally any team that was in that tournament, your team did better than than pretty much all. And, and one of the the big sort of arguments or counter arguments to zero RB is that it hasn't won any of these major tournaments yet, things like that. That's mostly just an issue of selection bias, sample size, whatever you want to say. There's not enough people actually employing the strategy. You know, if you have a, a massively smaller quantity of zero RB teams, the likelihood that, that those teams get everything right and, and hit on all the, the, the massive players and the whole season breaks a certain way, because it's all, it, it requires all those things to win a massive tournament anyway, the likelihood that it's that one of those teams is, is going to be significantly smaller because there's there, there are just so many smaller to pull from that doesn't mean that that, that that doesn't discount a theory just because it hasn't um succeeded in very small sample size before what you just described your and Blair's team doing from the late rounds in fact validates the theory because it beat every other team that drafted without Kamara just about I mean I think you're right I think almost every team that that finished
2: higher than you did have Kamara I think there was at least one that finished. Maybe one. Quite a bit ahead of us, but but maybe only one. Maybe there were three or four, but it was definitely in that range. Yeah, it,
1: it is sort of irrefutable. The other really interesting thing that you were discussing, there's several that you just discussed, but one that I want to jump into more after the break is sort of the shifting trends and how, how we relate. We are seeing in some some major tournaments right now that ADP is starting to shift where more receivers are going higher, running backs are falling. And I think naturally people are, are concerned about sort of how to how to respond to that and what is the appropriate response. And, and zero RB is just such a perfect fit for that even more. And and I think sort of that's that's lost. So that's something I want to get into right after the break.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
3: Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
1: So before the break, I was mentioning some ADP shifts. We're starting to see some more efficient ADP markets in in some major best ball contests and things like that, where, you know, modified running back, you know, single anchor running back, whatever you want to call it, the the names don't matter. We can call it anti-fragile drafting, whatever you want to call it. The, the reason people call it modified zero RB is as a, sort of a, a sign of respect or a, a hat tip to the original concept that that built so much of this that Sean wrote about it and distilled so well, the reasons that it works and, and laid out all of the counter arguments in a very readable argument. Again, the article is called Zero RB, Anti-Fragility and the Myth of Value-Based Drafting. It was written in 2013 at a time when running back, running back was the overwhelming, you know most popular start in fantasy football. I played fantasy for 20 years. I can tell you that was the way that everyone played fantasy for the first... 15 years that I played fantasy, uh, and a lot of people still only play that way. You have to draft running backs on the top couple of rounds. It's sort of the mindset. So you, when you read it, you, you need to understand that that's where, that's when it was written. It was in a very different era, but everything that was discussed in it still applies. What we're seeing now is more of this, you know, modified zero RB, the anchor running back one, heavy running back. Cause we have seen some shifts since that was written. We have seen guys like Camara last year, McCaffrey, obviously a couple of years ago be such dominant dual threat running backs. Like we really hadn't seen in the past, you know, passing game trends changed. And for a while it looked like we might be going away from workhorse running backs altogether, where there was more committees and more roles. And then teams said, well, we actually want running backs that can do both. So we don't tip our hand. We don't show that we're running the ball because we have our running, running back in and we're passing the ball because we have our passing, running back in. And so guys like Christian McCaffrey suddenly became, really interesting from a game plan perspective and for fantasy that has completely changed everything. And so that's a very natural application. It's like, okay, yeah, we do want access to the massive ceilings that we've seen from these elite running backs that we pretty much know who they are. They can only really come in the first round that creates the dead zone. You know, people are chasing in the fourth round, these massive running back seasons that don't come in the fourth round. As people have started to respect the dead zone a little bit more. Um, and in some ways I think they're getting it wrong because we're seeing guaranteed touches, which is a a fake concept with running backs pushed up into like even higher rounds so that they're not being taken in the dead zone. They're they're getting drafted in the second and third instead of the fourth. And then we're seeing unknowns, the rookies and the young players who are traditionally the only ones that do come out of the fourth or fifth or sixth round uh, and actually perform at a truly elite level at the running back position, which is something I showed in my original dead zone piece. You have youth uh, breaking out for the first time as really the only thing that is that is working in those ranges, those guys are getting pushed down. So I would argue that as people are are sort of creating a wider dead zone at running back, they're doing it the wrong way. They're pushing the wrong players up. If you're going to take a dead zone running back in the second or third round, it should probably be ETN or Javante Williams or one of these guys that we've talked about on the show. Uh, I, you know, I I don't think I would chase them that high, but that would be more in line with something that could work based on historic trends. But as we're seeing more of this, we're seeing more receivers taken it's really interesting to consider zero RB as a strategy in a more efficient market because now you you still can get out ahead of the wide receiver ADP by going wide receiver in rounds one and two when people are still willing to take running backs. And then what happens on the flip side, you know you start to lose some receiver depth in, in your wide receiver four, wide receiver five slot because people are taking so many receivers. But what happens on the flip side is you can take four or five really good receivers. You can hit on an elite quarterback and an elite tight end and get through uh, seven rounds of the draft. And in round eight, now you have guys that are actually legitimately pretty strong upside running back bets. You can get the Michael Carters, the Trey Sermon, some of these guys that were going in round six and round seven in some drafts. Now they're going in round eight and round nine sometimes. Suddenly, you get the best of both worlds. You're not actually giving up that much at running back. You can start to build a, a really legitimate upside running back room without having to pay the real draft capital for it. So, so zero RB, in my opinion, in when draft uh, ADP, when, when draft trends start
2: to become more efficient, becomes even more logical, right? There, There are a lot of factors coming together in 2021 that create some very exciting potential for zero RB teams, right? We can look at this idea that there are, teams where the passing volume is more split and how that creates more depth at the position that actually benefits zero rba owners in two ways i think right because the number one is that you actually are creating a little bit more of a gap now potentially we, we can tend to look at the wide receiver one group as a as a whole group and miss the fact that that when you're looking at if you're going to draft a wide receiver in the first round, in many cases, even the second round, you're really looking at the top three or four guys. And if we have a lot of these very talented wide receiver groups split, then it creates more value for a guy like Devonte Adams, a guy like Michael Thomas, you know, pre whatever happens, you know, this season, uh, more value for a guy like Tyreek Hill, more value for a guy like Stefan Diggs, and more value for someone like DeAndre Hopkins. I was looking at Hopkins yesterday and his career numbers and how he constantly finishes in the top five has been the wide receiver one twice. And you're thinking, I mean, if if Hopkins had the running back label, right? I mean, he'd be up there. I mean, no one's gonna compete with McCaffrey again, but he'd be like the the 102, you know, right in that range. You look at the scores that we've had from some of these wide receivers recently. I mean, you had six wide receivers score 20 plus points in 2018 you had Michael Thomas with a huge season in 2019 and Godwin almost at 20 and then last year you got guys like Adams, Diggs and Hill. Those guys are going to give you a very real advantage. Uh, one thing I just want to cut in with that is people think that that means that wide receivers
1: deep because there's a lot of players scoring that high, but we're actually very good at predicting which wide receivers are going to do that or put differently, typically it's the same receivers. We don't see guys come out of nowhere. You do like you can you can bring up Robbie Anderson, you can bring up Justin Jefferson. We do see it with rookies, right? Like absolute breakout players. But that, even Justin Jefferson, as good as he was, wasn't wide receiver one. What well, the guy, you know, Antonio Brown's career, he was elite. Devontae Adams, we see multi-season stability at the top. Typically, we know who has that type of ceiling because it's so dependent on drawing targets. Earning targets is a skill. Wide receiver production, it's the same thing with the elite tight ends. It's it's the guys that are capable of earning massive amounts of target volume, is sort of your point. You can't get those guys really anywhere else in the draft but the top couple of rounds. We know who they
2: are. Exactly. And then we have some of these other players who maybe make it a little bit deeper. And that's good for you if you're drafting zero RB because you want to get to the six guys, right? You want to have six of the top 15, six of the top 20 wide receivers. And then you want to mix in an elite tight end, potentially an elite quarterback if you come to a range where you feel like the other value is a little bit flat. And having a little bit more depth can help with that. But then there are a couple other things also come into play. One that I see all the time is people talk about these ranges of the draft where wide receiver is really deep and a lot lot of wide receivers are going. I I talked about this a lot on the stream with Sally the other night when we were drafting a best ball team together. You only get one pick in those rounds. So the fact that there are a lot of good wide receivers in those rounds, that doesn't help you. Unless you've started drafting wide receiver early enough that you can create this overall wide receiver group to punish your opponents, right? You only get one pick in round three, one pick in round four, one pick in round five. Drafting guys in those rounds, to take advantage of the depth, that doesn't do it for you. And then we do get into this area not that long after that where wide receiver actually does fall off. And John Silas, uh, a debut author for Rotovis this last week, published a cool piece looking at the wide receiver dead zone and sort of playing off off of your name there and where wide receivers actually have pretty bad win rates and then how, you know, you can exploit that and some things you would do late in your draft to exploit that. But one of the things that we see, and again, this is in large part because of, of Mike's tools, you get in that round six to 11 range and the win rates for wide receivers are bad. So if wide receiver was as deep as people are saying, we wouldn't see it in quite that same way. I think especially after you get out of round six and seven, and I think there's a potential that we will be a little bit deeper in six and seven uh, going forward for, for some of the various trends that are going on. You talk about rounds eight to 11, and this really is a range where a lot of people are trying to get their wide receivers. There are some problems there. And so if you get your guys in that round one through seven range then you have built this team again that is a is an all-star team you then mix in these running backs late and the upside that you have for this super team as the season progresses it's just really exciting and I think that 2021 plays into that in a way that a lot of the other seasons haven't you know we have McCaffrey coming off of injury we have unfortunately Saquon Barkley looking like he might not be healthy in our recent show you and i talked about uh some of the concerns just the difficulty for camara and cook to keep hitting at the level that they're hitting and then most of other guys just simply can't get in that area i wrote an article on jonathan taylor uh, coming out just yesterday based on when we we're recording talking about him as a potential option and i think that there is that potential for him to jump into the group but it still just takes so much going right whereas you can draft a 20 point per game wide receiver and hill a 20 point per game wide receiver and Diggs. Our gretchen if you can segment last week uh, talked about Diggs being the guy you can draft those guys you can get those points you can go forward from that with a team that really does work one of the things that that i do like to mention in these zero rb discussions is that part of this came out of actual play and i think that if there's anything that ever frustrates me with the zero rb conversation It doesn't come from people disagreeing with it. It doesn't come from people saying, you know, I I prefer to go in a different route. It doesn't come from people saying, okay, well, I think that there are weaknesses that you can exploit, any of those kinds of things. Because even though I probably would disagree, I think that that conversation is very, very important. It does frustrate me from time to time when people who either don't play redraft a lot or haven't tried it are saying it won't work. Right. One of the reasons why I wrote the article in the first place is that between 2008 and 2013, I had played literally hundreds and hundreds of drafts using this. And I mixed in some other formations as well. And, and the thing that I found is that almost regardless of what you do from a player selection standpoint, these zero RB teams were dominant. And almost regardless of what you do from a player selection standpoint with other structures, you're going to really struggle. I mean, your, your ceiling is in that you know, third, fourth, fifth range, where with zero RB, that's almost your floor, okay? Now, again, we have trends that shift through time, and I think the 2016 through 2020 time period has been a little bit different than that, but one of the things that has been cool about all of this best ball discussion in 2021 is that it's based on research from those years, which showed that zero RB was actually very effective during that time, now, 2016, not so much. But 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, zero RB, a lot more successful than people realized because they hadn't played it themselves and didn't see the the results. And one of the things that I try and do is I, I play other things as well. Sometimes I'll be in drafts and I will take running backs early and people will say, well, you know, if you actually yeah. believed in your concept, you wouldn't do that. But you need to play multiple ways so that you get a feel for what's going on, right? So you can develop your instincts on some of those other positions. And so you can maintain that contrast. Now, you're not going to play things that you think are flagrantly worse at a high percentage, but you need to play them some just to, to understand how it all works out. If you're not playing zero running back and have a bad feeling for it, you might just toss in a couple of those drafts just to see. And again, it does help to toss them in in a way where you execute in the way we recommend because there are ways to do it where you know, you're going to come back and say, well, that was terrible because you didn't have enough exposure to wide receivers. One of the things talked about a lot last year is that if you're losing from playing zero RB, you're probably not drafting enough wide receivers. I think this goes into the concept that we've been talking about.
1: Yeah. and, And you said almost regardless of player selection, that it can be very successful. I do think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding with some people who try it and don't really know that they're not, they're not exactly employing the structure the way that, that we would sort of, sort of advocate. I know that when I was first trying it, there's ways that I, you know, made mistakes and and learned tweaks to, to make it more successful. That's something I think that will be really natural for us to talk about in the second show this week, where we get into some of the player selection stuff. I think people can get into some, some real issues with how they then build out their running back group as well, because they still sort of try to chase guaranteed touches and they don't understand that, you know, there's some upside you, you want upside. (laughs) Um, Two things I want to emphasize that you talked about earlier Actually, three things. First, I want to I want to go back to the wide receiver point you made about sort of the wide receiver dead zone. Super excited to read that piece. Haven't read it yet, but that makes so much sense. I, I think everyone thinks wide receiver so deep. That's that is the way to, to differentiate it. The wide receivers in the first six or seven rounds are not the same as the wide receivers in rounds eight to eleven. They're just not in terms of what we can project, particularly as an upside target volume scenario. That doesn't mean that there's never a receiver in those ranges that we're just all missing as an industry. And I gave some examples like the Robbie Anderson's, Justin Jefferson's, those, those things do happen. And there are running backs in the dead zone that do well. That's not the point. Like you you can give me one example. You, everyone wants to bring up David Montgomery. And I guess that's the point because David Montgomery is the only counterpoint you can make. And and literally you have, you're all making the exact same argument. And I'm sort of preaching to the choir. Probably this isn't going to reach those people, but you're all you're all talking about one player that broke the mold. And for Dave Montgomery to do that, first of all, we had to be completely wrong on his role because the pass-catching running back tore his ACL right away. So we were completely wrong on the way they were going to play him. He probably would have went way higher if Tariq Cohen wasn't on the roster. He wouldn't have been a dead zone running back. And then you also had to get very lucky with some schedule luck and some other things that happened. He got was very efficient on big plays late in the year. There's so many things that went right for that. And that's fine. That's going to happen. There is chaos in the NFL. We, we, no one's denying that it's, you know, that that things can't happen. So that's one of the other points I wanted to make, and you sort of alluded to it, is that out-of-structure picks don't completely change the structure or the philosophy or anything. Structural drafting doesn't mean you have to be very, very rigid. This is a mistake I made early on as well. It is okay to make an out-of-structure pick. And then the, the key really is just to get back into structure at some point and understand how to sort of recover from the gamble that you made. Because it is a a percentage, a a, a negative percentage bet from a probabilistic perspective. But that doesn't mean you can't take a run back in the dead zone. It doesn't mean when you're thinking about going zero RB that you can't respond to a guy dropping multiple rounds below ADP that you actually kind of like and want to get some exposure to and take him in that draft. You can do different things structurally that as long as you don't let them to get you completely off track, don't necessarily throw you way out of the zero RB realm. And, And you've said this before. I know in some of the talks that we've had and I've heard in other places, that some of the things that we see, I think the example you made was the, the the modified zero RB or the anchor running back, whatever you want to call it, the one running back early and then all the receivers structurally is a lot more similar to a true zero RB build than the people who are, think they're going zero RB, but they're really just going like wide receiver times four. And then they start taking running backs in the dead zone in the fifth round, sixth round, seventh round. And they're saying that zero RB, that's not really structurally and philosophically following the anti-fragile and, and you know, theoretical elements of zero RB and, and really is more different than a true zero RB draft than, than taking a running back in the first round and then basically building a zero RB team from there. That, that is going to be more similar. In ter- and that's, I think one of the main reasons or main things people need to understand about what zero RB actually is, is it is more just a structural guideline, but it's okay to make out of structure picks and do things slightly different where you're still following those tenants and that concept for essentially the rest of your draft. You can have a couple of outer structure picks if you need to. It's it's really nice when you don't need to, when the draft sort of falls to you and you don't need to make any outer structure picks, but it it is okay to make out of structure picks. And then the third thing I wanted to say was to drive home a point about running backs. It, it's sort of the counterpoint to 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 a point that JJ made really well on on quarterbacks when we were talking about late round QB. And he was talking about how one of the Big things that can happen with late round QB is you can land a guy late who you then just ride for the whole season. And there's only one spot to fill at quarterback in most leagues. I, I think there's, you know, more, more people should play super flex, but you, you can land Lamar Jackson 2019 or Patrick Williams 2018 in the late rounds. And maybe you can't as much anymore. We talked about all of that a couple of weeks ago. But if you land those guys, you can ride them and start them all year. People don't sort of believe that in a lot of the the analyses on on zero running back don't sort of believe that you can land those types of running backs late at the rate that that you sort of you can because full season points don't always pop from late round running backs they don't get that opportunity really early it's it's very sort of rare for like a a top guy to go down right away and his backup to then be the 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 clear starter and, and jump right into that workload for the full season right from week one or week two. That doesn't happen as frequently. But that's that's not really what we're hunting for. That's why I was saying this is sort of a different thing. We're not necessarily hunting for one guy who's going to solve all our running back problems for the entire season, especially when you're building zero RB. You have to think about your two running back slots over the course of the season. How many points can I get from my running back slots? And that might mean playing some more stable guys that you drafted late, some pass-catching type backs that were part of your build late early in the season while you wait for some breakouts to hit and then you put them into your lineup if they do hit your example with Blair you guys never really got those breakouts so you were playing JD McKissick and Naheem Hines into the playoffs you sort of had to ride that but I I, this is I think a big thing that zero RB drafters should realize and should think about your two running back spots you're not trying to find one guy necessarily to fill them you're thinking about how can I build a roster that gets me just as much points at running back or at least is close enough that the advantages I've built everywhere else allow me to win. And that at running back frequently means spot starts. It means one big game from a backup where, you know, the his starter didn't miss huge parts of the season, but he missed a couple of games. And now you got two really great weeks out of that player. Uh, you know, Latavius Murray a couple years ago and um, and I guess last year too, when Al Kamara has missed some time, has had some big spot starts. Just first name the pocket head, into my head. But you're you're looking for guys that can have some splash potential and be a part of your your starting lineup for stretches. And it's fairly easy to predict it to your point about the DFS point that Drew made last week, where we have these low priced running backs that we know are going to get a lot of opportunity in that given week. You can throw, even in managed leagues, it's great in basketball, but you don't have to pick when those spike weeks are going to come. But in managed leagues, we know. We know in the DFS community when this $3,400 running back is going to be, or I guess $4,000 is a minimum now, but whatever. We know when that guy's going to be you know, a core piece of that week's puzzle for DFS. And it, it's, it works the exact same way for your lineup as you're building out your, your starting lineup. You just plug him in for that week and that stretch of time, even if it's only a month. You're not necessarily looking for one answer at running back. You're understanding that it is a position where last year, Derrick Henry was the only back who ran, uh, had over 200 carries and played all 16 games. Now, I think some of that had to do with the pandemic, the year before, there were nine. The year before that, there were seven. But even those are really small numbers. There's fewer typically than 10 backs who are heavy workhorse. Two 200 carries isn't a massive amount. That's not necessarily heavy workhorse. So that's 10, 12, what is that, 12 carries a game. But th- there's only there's fewer than 10, basically, backs a year that are going to have that much work and then also play every every single game, 16 games. When they don't, even if they play 14 games, and a lot of these backs that have really good years, Camara last year, Cook last year, they missed a couple of games. We are getting opportunities to play their backups in those spots for periods of time. And so you think of your two running back positions as this living, growing, evolving spots throughout the year, rather than trying to solve an answer on draft day of who my one guy is going to be. And that can include waiver pickups that might only be for a couple of weeks while they're hot or whatever, whatever trends are, are leading towards those running backs being usable for those weeks. You can build out enough running back points from those sort of spot starts from those opportunities. Some weeks you're, you're not going to have great options. That's how it works. But you have enough strength at wide receiver, tight end and quarterback to sort of overcome that, overcome having just JD McKissick, if that's who you're starting, if you need to, but then you also have the potential to have weeks where you have this dominant lineup, but not necessarily a season answer. Although those, those exist too, you know, James Connor a few years ago exists. Those, those, those do exist, but uh, I think that's something people miss. They they think that the 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 question has to be solved by a, an individual player, and it's not. It, it's when you go zero RB, you take a number of of guys that have paths. Either they have a stable floor, and we'll talk about this in the next show. But you want to you want sort of a balance. Some guys have a stable floor that help you in the early weeks and give you some stability in the weeks that you need to plug someone in. Other guys are going to be upside plays that could have 25, 30-point ceilings, and you want those guys on your roster, even if at at draft day you don't have a whole lot of projectable touches on your roster overall. It gives you this balance where you can find floor some weeks and ceiling some weeks, and over the course of the season, your running
2: back spots are going to be fine, basically. Yeah, and that's a a way that 0RB has sort of evolved and or 2021 is actually easier, right? To where when I was doing this 2008, 2013, A lot of times I would go in that first month and take some very, very low scores at the running back position. There weren't nearly as many options to get you through that first month. And some of the players that I made bets on would be, you know, rookie Chris Johnson, you know, Jamal Charles in a second year, Darren McFadden until he hit CJ Spiller until he hit those types of guys. And they do come through sometimes. And once they do hit, then you score a lot of points. And again, you've got the super team, but that first month was rough it's not nearly as rough now. There are so many good running back options to get you through the early going. And, and like you mentioned, you you have both elements where you can have those weekly guys and then you do have the full season people. Just in the last three years, you know, two of the players with uh, 20 plus win rate, you have Connor, whom you mentioned in 2018, and then James Robinson last year in 2020. And, and you contrast that to Derrick Henry, who you referenced as the one really big, Uh, volume running back last season in FFPC, his win rate didn't even hit 12%, right? So you get this huge contrast between what a running back has to do later in a draft to give you this smash team versus what that running back has to do in the first round. Very, very different, very difficult for any player (laughs) to kind of hit that level in round one. And so, so we have those elements now where you have the big scores but then you also have the small scores or the manageable scores early. So you don't have to go through that terror of a first month. I actually think it was easier to, I mean, it was more difficult to get fence people to try ZORB in that early time period, because you would tell them sometimes, look, you know, take those low scores in the first month. Uh, your wide receivers are going to still carry you. You're still going to win some of those games. And then as it goes through, your team is going to start torching everybody. Well, we see that a lot more right from the beginning uh, in the 2020-2021 time period, and it was actually one of those uh, situations last year uh, on that team that that Blair and I had where we came out with two massive weeks, and even without the running back, we're able to then make it through that middle time period because you can come out with these big weeks right from the get-go in 2021.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and
2: I mean, I had a team that finished top 20
1: as well, and we, we picked up Jeff Wilson as our last pickup before before waivers were shut off in FFPC and and started him in week 16 and got 27 points out of him or something. He had a massive week.
2: Tony Pollard, another big playoff hammer.
1: Yeah. I mean, just guys that you could get for free. And if you've built your roster this way, um, as you approach the end of the season, it's pretty easy to, to trim the fat at other positions where you have really strong starters and take a lot of bets at running back. And, and then you hit on a couple of those and, and you're unbeatable in, in any format. It doesn't need to be a, a major tournament it can be a regular league if you're making smart bets and and those are things that some people do miss and that's something that you know we we try to help people with i talk about it in, in signals i know you 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 write about all the time but yeah it is it is such a dominant strategy and we can talk about it for hours that, that'll that'll probably be enough for this episode we're going to get into some actual player specific takes in the next one which is going to be a really fun conversation about guys that we're targeting and how we're going to build running back groups when we haven't taken a single running back until the middle rounds, the the, the eighth round, the ninth round. Um, so I'm really excited to talk with you about some guys that could be huge zero RB targets this year.
2: Yeah, it'll be great to get into the player specific discussions. Uh, we know that that is what the listeners really come for in so many of the situations, but as you mentioned, that will do it for the show today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Stealing Minutes. I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at YardsPerGretsch. We'll have more episodes this week. Subscribe to our feed to get them when they release. Please drop us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. We've referenced the contest a few times recently. Uh, make sure to get those in now for a shot at a six month RotoViz subscription. As you're following along, make sure you're keeping track of Ben. He's going to have more stealing signals out for you soon. And you want to make sure you subscribe to the industry's best newsletter to get a discount at Rotoviz. All you need to do when you sign up is put in the code RVRADIO2021. And until we chat with you again, keep drafting.